every pregnancy is different, every baby's different, every delivery is different, but any birth that ends with a healthy mom and a healthy baby is a success, period, bottom line. Welcome to Teach Me Something New. I'm your host, Britt Morin, and this is a production of iHeartRadio and Brit & Co. All my life, everyone's told me I should focus on being good at one thing. But the truth is, I'm curious about a lot of things. But how do you learn about everything? The answer? Make the world's best experts teach you in less than an hour. So come along with me as we all learn something new. We've got a great show for you today with Heidi Murkoff, the author of The Bible of Parenting, What to Expect When You're Expecting. Chances are, if you've been pregnant or know someone who has, you know all about the What to Expect series. It's now been translated into 44 languages and has sold over 42 million copies worldwide. Heidi has also created whattoexpect.com and the What to Expect mobile app, now with an active community of over 25 million moms. I'm personally one of those moms. I used this app during both of my pregnancies with each of my boys who are now five and six. So it's no surprise that Heidi's mission in life is to help parents know what to expect every step of the way and who better to teach us all about the tips and tricks for getting pregnant, having a smooth nine months while pregnant, and most importantly, combating everything that happens post-pregnancy. It's Pregnancy 101, and as someone who might not yet be done with having babies, I can't wait to take notes. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Heidi. Well, I hope I can teach you something you don't know based on the fact that you've already done this twice. Well, all because of you. I literally was watching your videos every week. I felt like I feel like I already know you. I like know your voice so intensely from these weekly videos. I'm like, your baby is now the size of like a grapefruit or I don't know what it, the the fruit or the veggie was of the week. But I was fascinated. And, you know, my kids are only 18 months apart. And you would have thought that I would have retained the knowledge having learned all of this during the first pregnancy, but I think there's like blackout brain or something that happens. A couple of points there. First of all, your brain shrinks 8% when you're pregnant. Now, supposedly it's not um, cumulative, so it should not be 16% for you. <laughs> That's good. 32% if you're on your fourth kid, but it does, it's supposed to plump back up after pregnancy. So that's number one. And number two is every pregnancy is different. Every baby's different. Every delivery is different, even for the same mom. So therefore, what you expected the first time might not play out the second time. Or the third time. I mean, TBD on that one. We are like in that phase. We're like, it was just COVID. That was really scary. But now maybe it's over. But now are my kids my older kid's too old. And am I getting too old? I'm now 35. I'm like geriatric in this world. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. We're figuring it out. But now I've lost all knowledge of pregnancy. So honestly, I think you can teach me new things because I've truly blacked it all out. But anyways, okay, let's start with you though. Like this book you wrote is huge and you conceived it while you were first pregnant. So what made you first realize that the world needed something like this? Well, I needed it. So yeah, I got knocked up. Um, we had just gotten married. So it was like, oops, didn't see that coming. And that's literally how clueless I was. So there, you know, I went to the bookstore, there were like two books, both of them written by people who had never been pregnant before, you know, one was a doctor, nothing against that. But 
you know, it, all my questions went unanswered, all my thousands of worries that I had um, went unreassured. And so literally two hours before I went into labor with Emma, um, I delivered a proposal for a book that would become what to expect when you're expecting. So it was, it was a busy day, actually. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, I was a mom on a mission. I just, I, I realized that I wasn't getting my questions answered and I needed a place to turn. And I figured if a couple of parents slept better at night than Eric and I had, then I accomplished what I set out to do. So there was no, you know, write a best-selling book kind of scheme or something like that. Um, it was just, you know, that mission and the mission continues the same as it's been since day one. Yeah. And, you know, this book is now known as the Pregnancy Bible and has been read by around 90% of women who've read a pregnancy book. So what do you think was different about what you wrote and how it tapped into what people wanted? Well, I think, first of all, and this is this is hard to believe, but it was the first book to take pregnancy step by step. So instead of having to read about like labor and delivery when you're newly pregnant, it went month by month and week by week. Um, it was a concept. I thought that made sense. It was intuitive, right? And I guess before there were search engines, it was kind of, you know, the, the book that you could take and look up anything that was happening to you at 3 a.m. and find it. That was the whole point um, because I wanted that at 3 a.m. So it, it answers all the questions written in question and answer format. But I think the other thing was it was written for the person reading it. So instead of having examples of other people, I am ta I'm talking to you. And I, I think that sort of communicated in the language. But at its heart and its soul, I think it's the fact that it's mom to mom. Um, I always say you can't, you know, you got to put yourself in a pregnant woman's shoes to understand that they don't fit because her feet are swollen, right? And if you can't put yourself in her shoes, not to disparage those who have not been pregnant, but it's hard to get a mom if you haven't been through that experience, understand how to, how to talk to her, but, you know, how to communicate things that might be scary or navigate, you know, those stressful situations with empathy. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think that had a lot to do with it. Yeah. It's like by a mom for moms. Like it's, it feels very personal. And I think like, that's truly what we've seen work even with social media and influencers and all the things like they're real people telling you their tips and tricks that they've used. So we're going to talk, of course, about the pregnancy itself, the nine months, the 40 weeks, however you want to talk about it. But like any tips and tricks, first of all, before we're pregnant, like should we be doing things to better create a good canvas for this baby that might inhabit our bodies soon? There's a lot you can do actually on both sides um, before egg and sperm meet. So a lot of people think, oh, well, I'm going to go get pregnant. So I'll start taking my prenatal vitamin when I'm pregnant. No, in fact, you should be taking that. I, I say there's no downside with taking a prenatal vitamin or at least a good multi that contains all of those nutrients, even if you're not even thinking about getting pregnant right now, because 50% of pregnancies, including my first, are unintended. 
So to prepare, you know, if you have that luxury of planning time, absolutely take your prenatal vitamin and guys should take a multivitamin that contains folic acid as well. Um, They should look at their diet. Sperm are what they eat. And just like we are vessels for this baby, they are providing healthy sperm or not as healthy sperm. Um, And some things that impacted you know, in the short term and some things in the long term. But it's it's a good idea for both of you to have a preconception consult. So you get all your baby duckies in a row. If you have any medications that you're taking, you want to make sure that those are pregnancy appropriate and fertility appropriate. Again, that goes for him as well, because there might be some supplements that he's taking, not just uh, prescription drugs, but supplements, vitamins, all that kind of stuff. Um, if he's overweight, he should lose some weight because uh, fat cells are ma- comprised of mostly estrogen. Estrogen is, you sound, you know, for a woman, it sounds great to have lots of estrogen if you're trying to reproduce. In fact, too much estrogen throws off your balance of hormones. Same thing with a guy. The last thing you want is too much estrogen when you're trying to get pregnant for male fertility. It's not a good thing. So he should get to his ideal weight if possible. You should get to your ideal weight if possible. Get your diets healthy, start exercising together. Um, All the things that go into a healthy pregnancy go into a healthy preconception. If you need time to quit smoking or or weed or any of those things, now's the time to do it. Um, Actually, THC stays in your system for months in your reproductive tract. So um, with guys, it's more of an immediate thing. So if they, if they smoke before they have sex, then it creates kind of like slacker sperm, you know, they get all excited and then they're off to the races. And then they like, they see the couch and like, okay, I'm, I'm tired. Amazing. I, I, I need to eat a snack. So for both men and women, it's important to go through these steps ahead of time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, slacker sperm is my new favorite phrase. And <laughs> I'm going to use that somewhere in a sentence with my husband this week. Um, and and I think that's so important because I think women often take the autonomy of pregnancy like on themselves. So thank you for pointing that out. And I think it's, it's also like fascinating. I don't even know uh, what shape we were in when we were when we got pregnant. Um, but but also like how is any of this true about the myths of how to get a boy or a girl? because I've had two boys. I want a girl. Do I need to like have sex on my head or what do I need to do here? I I'm all for having sex on your head. I mean, if that's what, you know, whatever gets the job done, whatever makes you happy, then I'm all for it. But, um, actually all of those tricks for having the gender of your choice have about a 50% chance of providing you with the gender of your choice. So in other words, they don't work. Okay. This like, ovulation cycle. I had sex five days before ovulating thing produces the girl because the slow swimmers thing isn't real. Not scientifically proven. 
So, I mean, go for it. Sex on your head, (laughs) sex on the kitchen table, whatever, whatever you're feeling. Right. Like eating pineapples causes the girl. I've heard so many things. (laughs) You need to have fun trying. That's the main thing. Relax and have fun. I think that's right. A lot of my girlfriends who have had a lot of problems getting pregnant, and I'm not discounting the fact that it is very hard um, to keep the baby in there for nine months, um, uh, have just been so stressed out. And so I I do think what Heidi's saying is real, like de-stress, get healthy, like take a beat. And and hopefully miracles will happen. So speaking of the miracle, the miracle of pregnancy. This is so exciting. Now we're pregnant. Yeah, hopefully it's a girl. And like, what what do you need to be doing? Let's talk about this first month where you don't even know you're pregnant. Like, what's going on in there? And like, should you do anything at all? What if you're what if you're like still drinking because you don't know you're pregnant? Like, what's going to happen to your baby? Raising both hands here. Actually, only raising one hand because the second one I planned. But the first one, you know, I didn't plan. And so I was drinking and I was like, why does this beer taste like crap? Like, it really tastes bad. What is going on? I find out I was pregnant. Um, so first of all, the first month, you're only two weeks pregnant. I mean, you're a month pregnant, but two of those weeks are before egg and sperm meet. So the clock's only running for two of those weeks. That's that's one bit of solace. But that's a good case for for preparing, because if you are planning to get pregnant, you quit drinking, you cut down on caffeine because caffeine is another concern. You don't have to cut it out, but you should cut back. Um, although caffeine does make sperm swim faster. So if he wants a cup of Joe before you guys oh. do it, that's not a bad idea. Oh, wait, does that, and then does that mean the fast sperm, the boy sperm swim faster? I'm going back to this gender thing. They're the same pace of swimmers, right? Same pace. <laughs> In general, the sperm get a boost from caffeine. So, but that's amazing. We have to be careful because um, too much caffeine can increase your risk of miscarriage. So, and they don't know if it's a direct correlation or because women who drink a lot of coffee are stress machines to begin with. So there's a lot Mm -hmm. of things in life. But yeah, if you're, if you're taking your folic acid and you're eating okay, and you're not drinking and smoking, those are all pluses. Got it. And Speaking of like eating and drinking, this whole eating for two concept, and maybe we can just talk about some of the pregnancy myths right now, like eating for two. Is this a real thing? Well, you are eating for two, but one of them is the size of a poppy seed. Um, And then, you know, eventually gets into the, you know, spaghetti squash arena. But you're still talking small, sweet potatoes. You know, these are, and if you eat, for two of you, um, that's, you know, you're going to end up gaining too much weight. And the problem with that, it's not, you know, this is not about, you know, weight keeping, you know, weight watching or anything when you're pregnant. And there's a lot of stigmas and there's a lot of body shaming for pregnant women. And that's so inappropriate. But the reality is if you gain the recommended amount of weight, you're more likely to have a healthy pregnancy and you are building a baby. It's hard work. Cut yourself some slack. Yeah. Even cut yourself a piece of cake, right? 
I mean, for sure. I I was really nervous, actually, my first pregnancy that I was going to put on too much weight uh, because it actually happened to my mom and she had a hard time losing it and she blamed it all on her first pregnancy. So I had this like existential crisis, like, no. And so I was just forcing myself to eat salads and like not give into the cravings and carbs. And it was awful. I still gained 30 pounds on the dot. The second pregnancy, I let myself go a little bit. I ate cheeseburgers. I ate egg McMuffins for some reason. I loved egg McMuffins. <laughs> and I ate the cake. And, you know, I still ate some healthy. I ate healthy foods, but I definitely splurged. I gained exactly 30 pounds. And I think, like, at least for me, my body just likes to gain 30 pounds when I'm pregnant. And that was okay. Your body is very wise. That's a great amount of weight to gain. But, the, you know, in terms of calories, 300 extra a day is the average that you need. So not exactly double what you're used to eating. It may go higher as you get more pregnant in the first trimester, you know, when the baby's the size of a poppy seed, you don't really need to eat more. Um, and if you lose weight, that's not a big deal either because your baby is so small and nutritional needs are really minimal at the beginning. Well, is there anything besides the obvious that I should not be eating? I know that there's rules about like fish and meat and what else is there? So the fish rule, I would, if you're even thinking about becoming pregnant again, and I know we're all in the hypothetical stage right now, but if you're thinking about getting pregnant, stay away from the high mercury fish. You do not have to stay away from the raw fish until baby's on board. And you know what? The only reason for that, I think people think that somehow that's going to kill your baby to eat raw fish. The, the reason why they tend to recommend against it is because pregnant women are at greater risk of getting food poisoning as they are at greater risk of any infection because their immune systems are slightly suppressed. That's so the body doesn't reject the baby. So therefore, pregnant women, and who needs another reason to throw up when you're pregnant? So that's why since you could get sick from eating raw fish, it's best to avoid it. Um, in terms of things like we hear a lot about blue cheese, you know, and if you're feeling blue about that, the good news is that you can use pasteurized blue cheese and most domestic blue cheese is pasteurized. Read the label, ask the restaurant, is it pasteurized? If it's pasteurized, you can go for the blue. Same thing with Caesar dressing. If it's made with pasteurized eggs, you know, because there's worry about eggs and salmonella. No problem if they're pasteurized. Pasteurized juice is fine. Unpasteurized, not. Raw milk, no. Pasteurized milk. Yes. Same with, you know, juice bars, sprouts, all of those things that are, you know, seemingly innocuous and natural and healthy could be contaminated with bacteria. And then, of course, everybody asks about luncheon meats, deli meats. I can't tell you how many moms have said, I crave Subway, like nobody's business. And that's the risk is listeria, which is a very low risk that you will get listeria. But if you do get listeria when you're pregnant and you're much more likely to, if you're pregnant from a contaminated product, the risks are high. So therefore, if you want to eat that Subway, toast it, heat it, it's steaming, and then it's fine. I had a mom recently on Instagram messaged me saying, I am like, I, I can't get the thought of Slim Jims out of my mind. Like I need a Slim Jim. And she said, I know, you know, you're not supposed to eat it. It could be contaminated. And I said, well, you could always heat it up. She sent me a picture of Slim Jims on the grill 
with melted oh cheese. And she said, this was the best thing I ever had. It was like all my dreams come true. I was like, yes. That's amazing. I kind of want Slim Jims on the grill right now with melted cheese on it. You know, uh, yeah, by the way, for like a one summer when I was 17, I was a Slim Jims ambassador. So I had to go to a theme park in San Antonio, Texas, and I had snap bracelets that I had to surprise snap onto people throughout the park and say snap into a Slim Jim. So that's my, yeah. So anyways, that is my connection. So there you go. Um, so <laughs> let's move, let's like move away from Slim Jims now. Um, I, I like these, this idea of all these myths, right? So, okay, you debunked the myth about gender, sex, kind of some of the things we should be eating. So here are some more, ready? You can tell the baby's sex by the heart rate. No, um, my doctor actually tried this when I was pregnant. He predicted a boy and then a girl. I had a girl and then a boy based on the heartbeat. He predicted oh. it did not come true. No, absolutely no evidence. What about how they measure your baby during an ultrasound and they predict the weight? Do you think that's accurate? Okay, so early on, you know, like say the early, early ultrasound, those are most accurate for dating a pregnancy and measurements. After that, all bets off. So when you're having those guesstimates in the third trimester, uh, they can be off by a pound, two pounds, you know, so you can't take them to the baby bank. Yeah, this is how it happened to me. They told me my child, my baby, was going to be over nine pounds based on how they were measuring it. It was seven flat, seven flat. See? So full of crap, these ultrasounds. The ultrasound camera added two pounds. I don't know. Yeah, he was just turned the wrong direction and got his bad side. Um, lifting your arms over your head can cause your baby's umbilical cord to wrap around their neck. Okay, that's a real old school one. That's like your great grandmother's. So yeah, no, that is so not true. Is there anything we do that changes the baby's movement inside of us? Unrelated. The only thing you need to be concerned about with your baby's movement is at 28 weeks, start counting the kicks every day. Um, before that, they're going to be all over the place. Um, hiccups don't count, though they're super cute. So count your kicks at 28 weeks. Why, why count the kicks? Because that way, you know, your baby's doing well. So what you do is in a, in a one hour period, you lie down because babies are more likely to kick when you're lying down. That's a pattern they continue once they're born. So like you go to sleep, they wake up. So if you're lying down, they are more active. If you are up and moving around, they're lulled to sleep by the movement. So that's why for a kick count, you lie down, have a drink of orange juice to get, you know, the blood sugar going, and you should feel 10 kicks within the first hour. If you don't feel 10 kicks within the first hour, do another hour and call your doctor. If not, because you want to make sure that everything's okay in there. Oh, I never did this. At, at 28 weeks, okay. that's when you should start. Oh, well, I'm glad you told me that for potential baby number three. Um <laughs> I'm learning a lot of new things, actually. So thank you so much. Um, okay, what about this? Running or walking or running upstairs could cause early labor. No. First of all, you know, you're, if your doctor has given you specific recommendations because you're high risk, follow those instructions. Most will say at this point, you know, unless there's, you know, a problem with the placenta, something like that. Absolutely, you can run, you can walk, you can climb the stairs, you can 
Swimming is probably the best exercise of all because you get to be almost weightless and it's great for your joints. And it's also really helpful for sciatica. And one more thing you may not know about being in the pool when you're pregnant is that it, it forces out excess fluid swelling. Oh. Now that doesn't mean you're going to pee in the pool, although you might, you're pregnant. Yeah, if anyone sure. has an excuse to pee in the pool, that's you. But at the same time, it helps push out those extra fluids that have accumulated in you. So you'll pee later. Oh my goodness. I, I never knew this. Yeah. I always knew I liked swimming when I was pregnant, but now I know why. You know what's so crazy to me is just that truly your body knows what it's doing. Like it's like, I like swimming, not in normal non-pregnant life, but when I'm pregnant, I just want to be in water all the time. Or I like cheeseburgers because I'm sure I needed that iron. Like you're, it's like, listen to your body. It knows what it's doing. For the most part, yes. For the most part, yes. And I would say we often don't listen carefully enough. If you're running and you hurt, then you stop running. If you're like doing any kind of workout, if you have pain that doesn't go away and you can't explain that pain, then call the doctor. There's a whole campaign the CDC is running called hashtag hear her. And it's basically saying moms know their shit when it comes to their body. They know when something hurts, when something doesn't feel right, when something feels like I can't put my finger on it, but something just doesn't feel normal. Because there's so many things that are normal in pregnancy. But if you don't listen to that little voice inside of you, you might miss something. And if your doctor doesn't listen, they might miss something. So that's a good reason to be your own advocate. Totally. I love that. What are the other common questions you get after having done this for so long about pregnancy itself? Oh, the, the biggest question that I get is, is it normal? And all the many, many variations of that. So because you have so many crazy symptoms when you're pregnant, they seem so random, like my nose is bleeding. Well, what's that got to do with being pregnant? Or I'm the spit girl. My mouth is full of saliva all the time. What's up with that? And, and those are things that are normal, if peculiar, you know, your hands, your palms are red or you're itchy on your belly. So most things are normal and some things should get checked out, even if they seem normal, because that's, oh, it's always best to play it safe, whether you're pregnant or you're postpartum. But yeah, most moms just want to know, you know, it's okay. This is part of the pregnancy package. Right. And especially when you're on your first, I think. There's the fear that like, it's not going to be okay. The baby's not okay. I'm doing something wrong. And it's the one thing I've ever done in my life where I have not been able to be in control. <laughs> I'm such a control freak with my life. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on in there. Like, uh, and you just have to surrender, you know? When you're pregnant is the first time, then you have a baby and then you really know what it's like to be out of control. Like you cannot control babies. Babies are unpredictable. They're predictable only in being unpredictable. So that's, yes, you're absolutely right. I am a type A plus, 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 and you do have to relinquish control. I mean, you know, from your eating, like for instance, you know, if you feel like nervous about gaining weight have to relinquish control of that. You need to gain weight. Your body will tell you, I need to gain weight. So yeah, you can come up with a birth plan, but you cannot engrave it in Sharpie or whatever permanent mm -hmm. that you want to, because you have no idea 
to the best best laid plans can go completely out the window depending on how labor progresses or doesn't progress. So you have to give yourself some grace, actually a lot of it, and say, it's okay. It's okay. All of this is good. You know, keep your eye on the baby prize. Oh, for sure. And that's the then that's the next part of where I wanted to take this was like giving birth is a whole separate part of this equation. Like I my story is I wasn't going into the labor. I was doing everything possible. I was walking the stairs, eating the spicy foods, all the myths that you told me are myths. I was doing them just in case to try to get the baby out. Did you have sex? Oh yeah, I did sex. There's oil. Did you have sex on the stairs while you were walking up the stairs? <laughs> to not have sex on the stairs, I did drive 45 minutes for a special pregnancy pizza that uh, a place in Walnut Creek, California sells. <laughs> yeah, babies come when they're good and ready, but there is prostaglandin and sperm. So um, in theory, it should work to some extent, but only if conditions are right. Is that like your number one tip for how to get the process going? What I say is if it works, great. And if it doesn't work, still great, right? Because Mm -hmm. I mean, you're not going to be doing it for a long time anyway. You might as well do it if you can. And as long as your water hasn't broken and your doctor says it's all good, your midwife, go for it. There's the potential it could help. Raspberry leaf tea actually is what did it for me. So I don't know. You were telling your story. Oh, I know. But I love raspberry leaf. I don't, I've i never tried that. Well, anyways, I went. Nothing was working. They put a thing called a balloon in me to like open the cervix, get the process going. It worked. It was painful as hell. And I got an epidural. Everything was moving. Thought this was going to be good. And then everything just stopped. <laughs> and he was sunny side up. And and so I had to go into a C-section. And I was so bummed. Like I was, you know, but but that is what you're talking about. Like you just have to be open to the possibilities, right? To roll with whatever happens. And I, I can't tell you how many moms have said to me, I feel so cheated, you know, by the C-section, or I'm so disappointed, or I feel like my, I let down my baby, myself, my partner. No, any birth that ends with a healthy mom and a healthy baby is a success, period, bottom line. And so we need to support, you know, it's great to have, you know, as few interventions as possible. So Mm -hmm. I, for instance, thoroughly endorse having a doula because doulas actually do help you progress. The research is there to back it up. If you have a doula, you're less likely to have a C-section, not necessarily in your case, but the potential is there. You're less likely to need an epidural. You're less likely to have other interventions. You're less likely to have postpartum depression. That's just from having a support person with you all the time and beyond your partner and your partner's amazing, but it could be your partner's first time too. And that support makes a huge difference and they help you get in the right position and, you know, for moving the baby along, that kind of thing. But if you try all of the things and you've done everything according to plan and you end up with a C-section, embrace that, embrace your scar and embrace your baby. Most of all, like that's, that's a win. That's a win. Oh yeah. I love my scar. My mom came into the room when I had to make this decision and she turned to my husband and she said, at least you know your sex life's going to be intact. And I was like, mom, what are you doing? Um, so there are pros to the C-section, ladies. Um, speaking of which, like, 
What should one's partner know about the birth process? Like how in it should they be? Anything they should do to prep? Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, they could watch a video or two. Um, No, I totally think that they should read the book. They should take the classes. um, They should be as involved as possible. But that's another reason why I say get a doula, because a doula answers his questions, not just yours, advocates for both of you and gives him a chance, you know, to have someone to rely on. So there's less pressure and it's not like he will be a third wheel, but he'll feel more confident if someone is there who knows what they're doing. And keep in mind that doulas are not medical professionals. They are birth supporters, kind of like coaches. And so they don't take the place of your midwife or your doctor or even your nurse, but your doctor, midwife and nurse, they're all going to be outside somewhere else for most of the the time you're in labor. The doula is there with you and your partner the whole time. Yeah, for sure. I wish that I did that. If I, if I have this third, I will, I will get a doula. I've had a lot of friends do it and say, it's been amazing. Just doula it for sure. And I know we could have a whole nother episode when maybe we will about postpartum, but like at a high level, what are some of the things we should know about what happens after the baby comes out of you? Okay. First thing you have to know is that you still look pregnant. Like do not be packing your skinny jeans. You will not be wearing those for a really long time because you lose weight when you give birth. You lose fluid and you lose the placenta and you gain the baby, but that's about it. And the rest of it, the the extra fluids, some of them, some of the extra fat is for breastfeeding. So that was laid down for a specific reason so that you can tap into those reserves when you're breastfeeding. That's, but your body has it all figured out. So just chill out. Don't even think about losing weight. There's that, you know, you've got, you've got the belly. And you're supposed to, that doesn't go back automatically into place. And when you see those postpartum images of celebrities or whatever, I don't know what the deal is with them, but we know they have trainers, et cetera, and and probably Photoshop. So let's just take this one day at a time, be comfortable in your own skin, including your extra skin that you've accumulated. And with each pregnancy, it's going to get a little bit more because there's less support for your abs. There's less support from your abs um, for your belly. So there's more, there's going to be, and things are loosened up. And so there's a little more of this and a little more of that. My number one recommendation would be to see a pelvic floor therapist at the end of pregnancy, you know, in the third trimester, and then make appointments for postpartum as well. This person is going to help you get ready for labor and delivery, but also is going to help you recover. And I, I mean, I, I hopefully working on some legislation that will help insurance cover that because I feel it is that vital that every woman should be able to get a pelvic floor therapist who specifically trained Wait, this, pregnancy and postpartum. This is amazing. I love, I've never heard this before. I, you're seriously, you have so many gems, but yeah, like so true. I still, by the way, TMI, but that's how I am on this podcast. Uh, I still like pee a little bit when I go on long runs. <laughs> I can't help it. And maybe I didn't do my pelvic floor therapy well enough. The thing about pelvic floor therapy, um, it's not just Kegels. And in fact, if you are too tight to begin with, Kegels can do more harm than good. I'm all for Kegels. Trust me. Um, I'm doing them right now. 
As soon as I say the word Kegels, I start doing them again, TMI, but hey. there's no such thing as TMI. Sure. Um, you will pee, pee happens, uh, but you can uh, get a lot of help from the pelvic floor therapist. And, and that's why you shouldn't accept things like, oh, sex hurts. Well, the first time it's gonna hurt like a mother, the second time too, but it shouldn't hurt forever. And if it does, that means something's not right. Like maybe there's scar tissue, maybe you need some uh, pelvic floor therapy, but that's why you go see this person to help a sister out. Oh, important. So Don't accept everything as, you know, well, that's what happens after you have a baby. I, I just live with it. You know, baby, I've got a baby. It's all good. But if you can help it, then why not make it better? Right. Yeah, for sure. Go to that public floor therapist, you guys. Um, okay, Heidi, you can't come on the show without talking to us about hashtag bump day, which is happening July 21st. And it's now in its seventh year. So tell me what this is all about. Okay, so I'm not sure if you know this either, but the U.S. has the highest maternal mortality rate among developed nations. It's also the only country in the world where that is climbing. So bottom line is we don't take care of our moms. Black moms are two to four times more likely to die as a result of pregnancy and childbirth and postpartum. This is about two thirds of those are preventable with the right care. We're not providing that care, that level of care. And that's why we need to change it globally. You know, there, of course, in many parts of the world, maternal mortality is even higher. What bump day is, is an opportunity to celebrate beautiful bumps, healthy pregnancies, and raise awareness that every mom, doesn't matter what the color of her skin, where she lives, whether she's in a rural area where there's no hospitals, that's a, another problem for maternal mortality. She's in an urban area where all the hospitals have shut down during COVID. Things have gotten much worse. It's to raise awareness that every mom deserves that care. And so it's so easy. All you have to do is post your bump, hashtag bump day on July 21st, past bumps. So I expect to see at least two from you. Okay. Yeah. I have to dust off my old Polaroids from back in the day, the like two pregnancy <laughs> shots I have, but your mom, your sisters, your friends, everybody just spread the word and save a life. Ah, oh, that's so, that's so beautiful. Thank you for all that you do to support legislation around parenting, pregnancy, things like bump day, maternal mortality. I honestly don't know that everyone really understands the extent of your work in this field. And I just wanted to thank you and show appreciation and gratitude for that. And also don't forget military moms. We do for eight years, nine years, we've partnered with the USO throwing baby showers for military moms. And we've probably celebrated about 30,000 of them, which means I've given, I have a one hug minimum, no maximum. So that's like, more thousands of hugs than I can possibly even calculate. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, Heidi, we try to close each week with a task for our listeners. So what would you recommend our listeners try this week that will help them or someone they know feel more confident about being a future parent or mom? I say be kind to yourself and be kind to other moms. Like help a sister out. Don't judge. Don't support 
don't shame only support them your fellow moms there's a lot of a lot of mom shaming on social media don't don't fall into that trap and also because the reason why we do that as women is because we tend to judge ourselves so much and and also bring shame on ourselves and feel guilty first be kind to yourself and accept yourself and then be kind to another mom and accept her knowing that you know every woman's different and right, every right. deserving of our support and our motherhood is the ultimate sisterhood that's what i always say I love that. That's so true. Um, well, for all of you out there, I hope you learned something new. Heidi, I, I learned a lot of new things. And you've really, truly inspired millions of amazing parents, hopefully out there today and, and millions more to come. Where can our listeners find more about you? You can go to, well, first of all, what to expect, but also my social media is all at Heidi Murkoff. And yes, I answer every question I get. <laughs> I do. Oh, good. I love that. Good. So do I, by the way, at Brit. You can follow both of us. You can group text us if you want, group DM us, whatever. We'll talk about babies all day long. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's our show for today. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a virtual high five by rating and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. And thank you, Heidi, for being here. Until next time, everyone. Thanks for listening to Teach Me Something New, a production of iHeartRadio and Britain Co. I'm your host, Britt Morin. Find more information about each episode at Brit.co slash listen. You can also find me on social media. I'm at Brit or follow us at Brit and Co. Teach Me Something New is executive produced by Ali Ives and Ali Perry with additional production and sound design by Mark Lemmerjazy and Aaron Peterson. 